Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 72 called Emily. Okay, before we get started, guys, I just wanted to remind you, if you haven't already, to check out Fertility Rally, which is the membership site that Blair Nelson and I co-founded on June 1st. And it's an amazing site. There's a free site. There's a member part of it where you can unlock tons of content, lots of events. We have an amazing support group every Wednesday night that the members have said that's their favorite thing so far. We have a lot of other events as well, resources, a blog, bonus podcasts, really cool merch, discounts on fertility-friendly products and services, and much, much more. So check it out at fertilityrally.com if you are going through something and you need support. We are all in this together. And as we always say, it's the worst club with the best members. All right, guys, let's get into it. So today, my guest is Emily, who is a friend of a friend who emailed me to share her story because she really wanted people to know what she went through and she wanted to provide some hope to people that were feeling kind of down in the dumps or not sure how their journey was going to end. So she has a pretty dramatic story, a little bit of it, I'll tell you, and then I'm going to let her tell it in her own words, but she had seven unsuccessful IUIs, four miscarriages, all from natural conception, and then a very dramatic fifth pregnancy, which she will explain to you. So I'm going to let her get into it. Thank you for listening. And without further ado, this is Emily's infertility story. Hi, Emily. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Allie. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. You have a pretty complicated story. You went through a lot. So I'm just going to let you do most of the talking and we'll just kind of start with the beginning, which is when did you start trying to have babies and did you always want to? And what happened when you guys started trying? Yes. I, I always wanted to have babies. It's just something that's always been very important to me. And I knew that I would, I think people who feel, feel that way, they feel they've had a good maternal influence and they want to pass that on. It's always been something that's very important to me. Mm -hmm. And with that said, my husband and I, we really started when I was 32 and he was 34. Okay. And it's, it's funny because prior to that, I remember being 30 years old. We were living in New Zealand at the time and a kid, I was working at the, the version of like children's, you know, like social services for children, seeing a lot of, you know, rough cases, family cases and things like that. And one of the kids that I was supervising at the time asked if I was a mom and I laughed it off because I'm like, I'm 30. What are you thinking? I'm too, I'm too young for this. You know, so I, we got started definitely later. And of course, you don't anticipate any of these, these issues. Right. But we moved back to the United States and we went off when I was 32, went off the pill and in August, I think, and got pregnant in December. And 
I remember it very well. It's it's right around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. We had a cocktail party scheduled at our house and I'm going through all the motions of making cocktails, virgin cocktails. I'm drinking because immediately, as you know, when you're of that age, if you have certain behaviors like drinking and suddenly you're not, people automatically right. assume I remember, that you're pregnant. I remember it, it being kind of fun in the, those beginning weeks before you've told everybody kind of secretly not drinking to pretending like you are and like sitting on this big secret that like oh, totally. you feel very like proud to have. Oh, totally. And it was great because I actually had friends who thought I was full on drunk. So I must have been doing a great job. Oh, (laughs) Academy Award level acting. Yes, it was big time. It's interesting, too, because I remember being around the Christmas tree. We hadn't told anybody. And at one point, my mother-in-law was over there. And I felt at this point, I would have been very super early on. It, It almost feels like I felt the implantation. There was like a sudden kind of pain. Whoa you know, in my lower abdomen. And, and, and that was interesting. And we went on later to find out that I was pregnant, mm-hmm. um, kept it a secret. And we found out on Christmas Eve that I was miscarrying. And so we're going forward, you know, with all the family plans mm-hmm. through, through this, the biggest pain that my husband and I have ever felt. Mm-hmm. And obviously things went very differently because this is when we planned to tell our parents we had purchased a book for them about being grandparents and Mm. just going through the motions that Christmas Eve, you know, it it was so hard trying to, to have any joy going through that was very difficult. One of the things that kind of seems to be so isolating is that although miscarriages are are quite common, finding that person going through it at the same time or that friend or that family member, you have people who love you so much and they don't know what to say Mm -hmm. and you don't know what to say or what you want to share. And so it, it leaves you or it left me feeling very isolated. Yeah. Um, And never really comforted by what anybody said Mm -hmm. during that time. So I was going on boards where you're seeing a lot of you know, people like you, they give their stats. It's like a list of their medical stats, their children mm-hmm. who are living, little emoticons that represent their angel babies. And there's all these, you know, acronyms that you mm-hmm. kind of have to like school yourself before you can even understand them. I know there's still stuff that pops up on a daily basis. And I'm like, I have to Google it. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yes, totally. For sure. Yeah. It's different. Okay. So you guys, you got through the holidays, which I'm sure was super rough. And then how was like the recovery and stuff and how long before you guys started trying again? So the recovery, um, it was not resolving fast enough. And so it did result in a a DNC and it was thought from my OB that it was a molar pregnancy due to some apparent inflammation or something. Okay. Can you explain what that that was? A molar pregnancy? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Oh. Um, not normal. <laughs> not going to. Not going to to be a good thing. So it's funny because I went on to have many. It's not funny, but I went on to have many more miscarriages, and it's like you, you kind of packed that away. I felt you know very well cared for from my doctor, and I remember having a conversation with her, and her saying that we we became very close, and she became an important part of our story, and 
I remember her saying, lots of people go on to have three miscarriages. Yeah. And in my mind, in that split second, I was like, oh no, I'm probably going to be one of those people. Right. And also you're like, thanks for the uplifting message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I Googled molar pregnancy, by the way. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Do tell. It says it's a non-cancerous tumor that develops in the uterus as a result of a non-viable pregnancy. Oh, okay. That is equ- according to the interwebs and Sloan Memorial Sloan Kettering. The interwebs. I'm sure I Googled it many times when I was, you know, when they went through this, but I I just remember thinking, oh God. Okay. So here there's this, that sounds odd. Okay. I hope I'm not in it. It it sounds terrible to have three miscarriages. That'll probably be me. And, And that sticks with me as something you ask yourself as you're going through this, did I cause this in some way? And you think that maybe people think you did as a mm, stress or whatnot. Right. That, that is ultimately what, what goes on to happen is a string of miscarriages with me. After that, in the, the winter and the summer, it was June, we were going on a vacation for the beach and to the beach to be with my family, mm-hmm. with my husband. And we were six weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so we'd flown down and we were going to be with all of my family siblings. And they, all my siblings do have kids. And I didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel a huge, huge amount of jealousy more than frustration of other people that are pregnant, because I did feel like it was, it was coming for me. I wasn't one of those I've talked to people who've had violent feelings towards people who are pregnant. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out during that time, my sister-in-law was pregnant with her fourth. Oh, wow. And, and I felt, I felt nervous having had the miscarriage. And I remember sitting there out on a dock. Everybody knows at this point. And we, I don't think that we would have felt the need to tell people so early, except that we were with them. And it was something that was weighing heavy on our on our hearts and our emotions after the first. And so I remember sitting there on the dock and wondering if it's okay to have a Sprite. And and, uh, my dad saying, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And, you know, a couple of days later, I had a tremendous spotting started. Mm. And this became a major part of my life for, for the remainder of even up till today. When you go to the bathroom, Am I going to be having my period or am I going to be miscarrying? And it turns out I started spotting and I was miscarrying for for whatever reason. It was tremendously painful. And we went to the hospital there that that did resolve naturally. Mm -hmm. And, and it was also early at six, six weeks. Okay. Wait, I want to talk about what you just said, because I completely relate to that. And that feeling of when you go to the bathroom and you wipe and you're like so scared to look at the toilet paper to see if there's blood, right? Mm -hmm. To be completely honest with you, I still, when I wipe after like going to the bathroom, I will, the other night this happened to me and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not in that place anymore where I'm terrified to look and see blood or not blood. Like I had that thought, like it doesn't go away. The, the it, fear, it's still there. Yeah. That's it, how it like deep it is, you know? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's just like, it'll come up again and again. I think I know. In this story in different yeah. ways. Definitely feel that way. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and in other ways at this point now, 
I'm not able to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, naturally, I can physically, but I've had a eight doctor panel review our case. Mm-hmm. And um, we do we do have a child now. Right. Um, it was a traumatic, traumatic birth for both of us. But that right. wondering, am, am I pregnant now? Am I pregnant now? And it would actually be devastating for me if I did get pregnant because we wouldn't be able to... It, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be able to carry it safely. I'd have to basically live in a in a hospital in order to do it, which we were willing to do at one point. Right. So it just kind of gets to the desperation. But it was that either that am I am I miscarrying? Is there blood there? Is there mm-hmm. spotting there? Or am I pregnant? Yeah. It just goes on. Right. So for years you were going through this and you wrote in your initial email to me that you'd had four miscarriages, all from natural conception. And then seven unsuccessful IUIs. Mm -hmm. And then you said that you had a fifth pregnancy. So, and that one went pretty sideways, right? So tell me about that one. Yeah, the fifth pregnancy, I think uh, leading up to that before the IUIs, we had infertility for like a year and a half, which was about the roughest. Mm -hmm. And we went through, uh, I went through so many ways and means of you going back to those boards of, should I eat pineapple wine? Should I stop drinking coffee, acupuncture? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did an amazing amount of, of things that I thought might be helpful that ultimately I think was just driving me crazy more than anything. Right. Wait, and you was, did, you had deer antler, right? Deer antler. Well, what? I went to a Chinese the hell? store. <laughs> I've never heard of this, Emily. I've never heard of that. Tell me about yeah, this. There you go. Surprise. So I went to a Chinese food store and um, I just, just researching on the interwebs and it's like, this could be, you know, helpful mm-hmm. for, um, you know, for fertility. And so I took a pill and it was all in, you know, Chinese writing mm-hmm. um, that was deer antler relevant for fertility. And wow. That That's a first. A, <laughs> it did not have an impact, but we were desperate. Oh, desperate. I'm, I'm totally feel you. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have done the same exact thing. It was, I've said this before. If somebody would have said like at four in the morning, you have to go to the corner store and buy <laughs> a gallon of orange juice and drink it in three minutes. Like I would have done that every four in the morning, like every day, you know what I mean? Like you get to the point where you're like anything, I'll do anything. Oh yeah. I would have been right there with you. Um, and so, so this is, this is where I was. And I, um, coming to with a fifth pregnancy again, I was, I feel like I'm not realizing this until I tell you the story. We had traveled down and we're with my family Mm-hmm. And discovered that I was pregnant at Thanksgiving. And I was terrified because mm-hmm. it's like, here I go into this massive amount of fear mm-hmm. from the past failures. At this point, right. we've had four miscarriages. And my husband, and we're going down and almost kind of deliberating on this at the same time. And we just told my mom right away. And my husband got on the phone and he was like, We are not going this alone. We are calling a high risk OB and we're going to, I'm going to get you in right away. So he just kind of went into autopilot and he -hmm. he was going to handle this and I'm going to go to this doctor. And and I didn't want to go. I did not want to go to ultrasounds. I did not want to go through the HSG, the HCG testing. And so he gets me hooked into this, convinced me and I go and at our appointment, our doctor was pregnant 
And she came out. We, I had met her for a couple other visits as we were addressing infertility. So we moved on from the regular AB to a high risk to address infertility. Mm-hmm. And then we went on to a different practice to also address infertility. But I had known her from a couple of prior visits. And I developed a, an intense reaction that was later diagnosed as PTSD from the ultrasounds. Because there were so many horrible ultrasounds where you're learning that the pregnancy is no longer viable. Mm -hmm. And so with this one, the doctor came into the room and I would not even look at the ultrasound. My husband was there and I was looking at him and I could see that he was recognizing something that he was happy about, you know, heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And I'm just looking at him wondering, and the doctor came in, she's looking at the screen and she is looking confused. And he said, that's the heartbeat. And the doctor said, it is the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I, I need to, to leave the room and call your OB. And so she does that. And she comes back and said that she suspected, and it's been confirmed that this is a corneal ectopic. Mm-hmm. And so about 2 to 4% of ectopics um, are this way. And it, it basically grows in, in an interstitial point of like, it's like in the tube and in the muscle, mm-hmm. as I understand it. And it is very difficult to diagnose. And so it has a much higher mortality rate oh my God. Um, because, and it can also start to read off as normal on the HCV numbers. Mm-hmm. And prior to that point, before we had that ultrasound, we had really wacko HCG rates where it was like, this one's good. Ooh, this one's not good. And so I'm on this roller coaster of oh, I'm wow. probably gonna miscarry right. to that high risk OB calling me and going, Oh my gosh, I've never seen this happen before. Your numbers are good again. Mm. And so we just had no idea what to expect when we got there. But right. when the doctor came back and said that, it was, what what does this mean? What does this mean? And she said, You have to abort this. We have to abort this tonight. And and I was like, why? And she she actually said, unless you want to die. Oh and, and we had a very close relationship with my OB. And um, I guess they had been talking and she cleared her schedule um, that day to kind of consult with me. And I I remember leaving that appointment, you know, understanding at that point that that this is super high risk, you know, for for bursting and bleeding out. And I just I could not believe it. Yeah. I felt that we were constantly finding ourselves right. in this unlucky, very unusual percentage. And I lost it. Yeah. We got in the car and I mean, I was slobbering, just screaming my head off. I was so angry. Yeah. And um, it's, it just seems like this balance of, as you go through this with your partner, the ups and downs, you know, he, he was more there for me when I, when I needed him, I was constantly holding on to hope, mm-hmm. taking him on this roller coaster. That's ultimately very difficult for our marriage as mm-hmm. you're trying to, you know, schedule sex and tell him it's a great thing that we have to do this all the time. And, and it's <laughs> to end well, right. Um, right. As you're suffering through it. And he, he was there, he was solid as I was losing it. Right. Um, in your email, you said you called it a dreadful sex life full of stress and dashed expectations. And I was like, oh. yep. 
<laughs> Been there, yeah. sister. Oh yeah, totally. And so we go to the OB later and, and she, I guess it was so unusual. They had to, um, she, she had performed one before. And so she was, so it was kind of perfect that it was my OB who had performed one before and she was going to be performing this one with the help of another surgeon. Mm-hmm. They had to fly implements in instruments into Minneapolis. Wow. For that, which is unbelievable because that's such a hub of healthcare. Right. So it happened the next day. You know, I lived with the scar that was so, so hard. It just like a physical scar or emotional or both? All of it. Yeah. You know, physical and emotional. Right. And um, so, wait, they, I don't want to like brush past the fact that they told you you could lose your life if you didn't have like emergency surgery. That was her response. That is was, so terrifying. How did you even, you had to obviously go home and like wait till the next day, right? That must, I mean. I, you, it, it wasn't that emergent. It's like, I mean, any ectopic as I understand it, you know, they're not going to want you flying or anything like that because right. it's such a, it's a, such a highly vascular areas and especially when you're pregnant. But this one is because it's so hard to identify what, what happens is that it goes missed and then you assume you're pregnant and then it, it bursts because like I said, the numbers can read off kind of wacky. And so there's like, you're like, it's 15 times more dangerous than a standard ectopic. And I remember only finding one, there was just like a handful of women that were writing about this. That to the point where it's like, okay, I remember this story. I remember this story because there were so few that went on to get pregnant. Right. This is the first corneal ectopic that I've heard about actually. So I wonder if there's people out there listening that went through it as well. Yeah. Well, I hope, um, I hope so because you just, you don't, you don't hear of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't wish it on anybody, but Mm -hmm. I, what I, what I learned is that it seemed to me, my my assumption was that people either don't know they had one. It's apparently rare and there's just not a lot of information on there. So I assumed at the time that these people are not going on and getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And with this handful of women that I followed who did, they all were either directed or had to have directed by their doctors to have cesarean section, you know, C-sections after at a, like a certain point because your uterus is compromised because, you know, I lost a tube at that point and part of my uterus. Mm. So, Mm. because it's growing like at the point where they all meet. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, after the, I remember during my consultation before the surgery, have the removal of that pregnancy, my doctor was like, I, I can't take this anymore. She was like, you've got to try something different. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to get pregnant naturally, like maybe IVF. And and so that really stuck in my head. And I did go seek counseling after that. And she was wonderful. And I remember the counselor saying, you know, have you thought about other options? Have you thought about IVF? And of course we had. And at the time, my husband, you know, prior to this point, we just weren't there. I think my husband felt that why would we pay all of this money to potentially experience this massive heartbreak that's just tearing us apart right now? Right. And that was his perception. And my feeling was, why wouldn't we 
go through every avenue. I was, like you said, like at the corner store drinking juice with you, I would have done anything. Right. <laughs> I would have met okay. you there. Yeah, totally. So I think our, our we started to kind of open to that idea and we went to this counseling session together and she said something to me. She was like, we were kind of hemming and hawing and about that and maybe why we, we wouldn't pursue IVF. And she said, why not? She said, why not? If you're thinking about it potentially, why not now with 36 year old eggs versus now I'm 36, I've got five pregnancies behind me mm-hmm. and 38 year old eggs. And that really stuck with me. And there was such a different feeling moving from IUI to IVF for me. It's kind of like you, I, I felt like you had somehow it felt like they thought you were in the big leagues now, or maybe there was more money behind it, but the IUIs felt so rude. I remember running to the appointments with my husband's sperm tucked into my jeans. Yep. Keep it warm. I remember going to, this is the best. I went to a gas station because I'm like, I want to make sure that my husband's like really ready to give the best of the best here. And uh, getting him a magazine from a gas station. Yes, girl. (laughs) I remember as a child from the 70s, you remember seeing those magazines there. Oh, yeah. I worked at Playboy for 10 years, honey. They don't have them anymore. Yeah, they don't. So they had some kind of magazine that was women who work at, like, they were dressed up as fire, you know, firefighters. And they look like they've been like benching, you know, like 120. It was hilarious. And I gave it to my husband. He's walking in for the IUI with a leather, probably a leather notebook. Yeah. This little firefighter girls. They're rolling his eyes like, is this really happening? That's amazing. The IUIs for us just, it felt like it never felt, I I didn't even feel really great about them, but we were just doing what the, the, you know, the medical center said would be the best before we do this, the next step. Right. Yeah. I remember going in and too and thinking it was just so random, but I was so hopeful at that point, you know? So, and I had a friend, one of my best friends had, had done one and it worked. So I went to the same place she went and it didn't work for me the two times that I tried it. But I, I do remember thinking like, God, this is a weird experience. And I've never other than my friend who did it, I'd never even heard of it before. Like people do this, like what is going on? It was just so odd. It, it is, odd. it is. And it was, for me, it was, it was nice to, um, the thing that I, I, I loved about IVF and I feel like I can be no help to somebody who has IVF as far as our protocol or whatnot, is that I felt like I could let go. Mm-hmm. I was no longer tracking stuff. I was doing what someone told me to do. Right. Every day I was doing the shot when they told me to do it. I was doing whatever protocol they said to do. I was tired of questioning what I was doing, wondering if it was the right thing, wondering if this is the perfect time to have sex with my husband or is it too much or should we wait two days? And so with IVF, it was, um, we got into it super fast. It happened in the spring. We didn't even like go on birth control or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, or I didn't go on birth control or anything like that. It was, it just, it seemed to be an easy process. I responded really well to the, um, you know, to all the, the stimulation drugs. There were 17. Yeah. That's um, so lucky. There. And I just have to say for anybody listening, I know there's some people out there that have 
a very opposite experience of IVF and it's, they do round after round after round after round. And you and I are the same. We only were, you know, fortunate enough that we only had to do once. So, and I know that you know that how fortunate that is and I do too. So I don't want to like make anybody feel like, you know, this is your story. This is your experience. So yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Well, it's great to hear that you had a good experience with IVF and I know that you had a great result, right? So tell me about your daughter. My memory of it is that it was a more relaxed time, relaxed pregnancy. My husband's is totally different. So maybe I'm blocking something out. I love that. The first trimester for me, I was a mess according to uh, to the outside perspective. But there was one thing that that occurred, two things that occurred as I was pregnant. Obviously, very happy time. um, But early on, I did get a, like a bladder infection and Mm -hmm. had to take, you know, medication, which caused me to to bleed. Mm -hmm. And that was so frustrating. And I remember Mm -hmm. just being so mad. So I'm like, it, it just brought it all back and total you know, total fear. And you just do not want to feel anything down there when you're pregnant. And so to feel in pain and have the bleeding um, was a bit too much. So that was super scary. And it was other than that, it seemed to, to tick along well and easily. And as I mentioned before, as a result of that fifth pregnancy, we knew from my doctor that our baby was going to have to be born early through a C-section. Because and so the plan... Because the uterus had been compromised, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, I, I guess, you know, the risk of it, the, the risk of anything happening from that was just too great. And there's not a lot of science behind it. Mm-hmm. And that was always, there's not a lot of like cases behind it mm-hmm. um, where they know exactly the right time, but it was decided that they would go for a C-section at 36 weeks. And as it turns out about, let's see. So she was born two months early and actually not two months. She was born like eight weeks early. And what happened uh, two days before she was born, it was a, a Wednesday. I go in to just extreme, extreme pain that I thought, honestly was going to kill me. It was that bad. We were in the hospital. The hospital didn't understand what was going on. They could clearly see that I was pregnant. And I kept telling them I have had a corneal ectopic. Maybe this is related to that. And it's like, they didn't understand that my concern was the shape of my uterus now, not that I'm having a corneal ectopic, but that I've had one before. Um, And so so maybe this is what's causing the pain mm-hmm. and they're calling the hospitals, calling the doctors and they're all coming back and saying it, whatever's going on now couldn't have anything to do with the corneal ectopic because you could never be that pregnant with a corneal ectopic. And it was like, there was no understanding the fact that I've had one before something's going on now. It doesn't seem normal. And, um, they just, didn't know what was going on because what was going on, you couldn't see on any scan. What they could see on the scans when I was in the hospital was that the baby was okay. Mm-hmm. And that my scar was stretching and stretching and stretching from the previous ectopic because I had, you know, had that removed not long before I became pregnant. Mm-hmm. It was just about six months okay. before I became pregnant. And so what ultimately ended up happening is they sent me home and said that it was probably gas pains 
Oh, wow. um, or that they could see I was having Braxton Hicks and maybe it was that. And I'm like, listen, I know this is not what's going on, but I went home and the next day I had an appointment with my regular OB and she didn't even bring up the fact that I was at the hospital. I'm like, did you, you knew I was in the hospital last night, right? She said, yes, I heard, you know, you were having some contractions. And I said that, that could not have been it. And mm-hmm. she said, just, if you, if it happens again, just, just get in the bath and take some, you know, some Tylenol. Mm. And so the next night, the next day I worked the entire next day. And then oh that God. night, the same thing is going on again, just massive, massive pain. And I'm thinking I can't go to the hospital again, like, you know, and discharge with gas pains. And so right. I just kind of suffered through it. And the next morning she, I mean, there was absolutely no sleep. My husband carrying me back and forth to the bath moaning. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, it kind of started to feel a little better. And my husband actually was going to go to work that day and called his mom to come in and be there with me. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that point, the pain had gotten, it had alleviated to the point where we, I decided to call the doctor, told him what was going on and said, it feels better. It only feels like I'm being stabbed in the back every time I breathe. And so they were like, you need to come in now before mm-hmm. noon. It was like, and at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, I come in and they're going through all the regular motions of weighing me and mm-hmm. my mother-in-law is going on and on about just everything. And I had to tell her, I'm like, I cannot talk right now because I'm in so much pain. And um, we go through, it just seems surprising to go through the regular motions of, of right. Like, we're going to check out your ears and your eyes and <laughs> yeah. your blood pressure. Oh my God. Yeah. Like um, someone's stabbing me in the uterus right now. This is right not now. good. This right. is not good. So when I finally get in there, they check. And again, thankfully the baby, the heartbeat is normal. There's no concern with the baby and they're going to do, they're doing the ultrasound and my doctor comes in and says, we're going to have someone else. Like they, they reviewed the ultrasound. They had another doctor come from another town and they walked in to look at, to look at what was going on inside. And immediately so I remember them saying, do you see that? Do you see that? Yep. And so what they were seeing was blood clots in my mm-hmm. belly. So I was starting to bleed internally. Oh my God. Um, and at that point, my OB just held my hand and uh, got down in my face and said, this, this has got to happen now. And I was on a table within 10, you know, getting wheeled to the hospital part of the doctor's office that I was in mm-hmm. and uh, getting wheeled into surgery. And I remember right before that, my mother-in-law was with me. And at this point I'm getting wheeled to the, to the hospital ward and turning around and just looking at my mother-in-law and going, is my husband coming? Mm-hmm. Will he be here? And she's like, yep, he's on his way. And as we got on the table and they were getting ready to put in the epidural, I asked if I could go to the bathroom just so I wanted to call my mom and let her know what was happening. Mm -hmm. And she already, I guess, had been informed because she was bawling when she picked up the phone Wow. and um, asked me, she said, what do I do? And I was just like, come here. And she said, okay. And I said, I love you. And that was that. And um, where was she coming from? She was coming from North Carolina. And so, how far from you? So we're in Minnesota. So oh, wow. she's got a, you know. How terrifying for her. As terrifying. Our, 
I remember her version of she's getting on the, you know, on the phone calling oh. the, the flight companies and just say, crying, bawling. Saying, Absolutely. You're having a uterine rupture, right? That's oh. what was going on. Yep. So my uterus was rupturing. And, and um, you told me in the email, you have 16 minutes to get the baby out before she goes brain dead and 30 minutes before you bleed out. Right. Holy shit. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, you don't know this until after, but you just, I am, you know, and just incredibly thankful for all the things that happened along the way because things can go so differently. Yes. Um, and, you know, it could have, it could have gone any way. And so I just, it, 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 it was, um, that she was, she came out, brand, my husband got there like right before mm. she was born and she looked great and she's crying. And, and this is, this Thank is God. everything that you're waiting for. This is everything that the pain and the struggle and the emotions, you know, have gone into and to hear those cries. And we're so thankful that she is healthy. Mm -hmm. And we don't, you know, we don't take that for granted um, mm -hmm. for a day or the journey that we had getting to her. Absolutely. But um, she, she ended up being in the NICU for about seven weeks. Okay. Cause she so was, they, it was 33 weeks at that point. Yep. 33 okay. weeks. Yep. And they say, I guess that the time, how early they are is the amount of time that you're going to spend in the NICU. Oh, and okay. that yeah. turned out to be true. And yeah. tell everybody what you named your baby. So we named her Hope. I love that. And um, for many obvious reasons, I mm -hmm. um, it was actually a little point of contention with my husband and I, but it was definitely him who had the idea. Mm -hmm. And um, but so many strong feelings around just, just constantly losing that mm -hmm. and finding it again. And through the whole story of of our journey to her, it wasn't always there. But it was something that we constantly felt we had to come back to. Yeah. So we are super thankful that uh, that she's here. I love that you said that, losing it and then finding it again. That's so beautifully said. Now you made me cry, Emily. Come on. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you that she's healthy and she's six years old now. Mm-hmm. And yep. there's a couple more things I want to ask you before we wrap up. The one is that you and your husband wrote a letter to your doctors and you mm -hmm. included it in the email. And I just want you to, if you don't mind, I want to read just like a couple sentences from the letter. It's beautiful, a beautiful letter. And it was basically a thank you letter. Of course. And, you know, you guys were, you could, well, first of all, why don't you tell me why you guys wrote the letter and then I'll just read a snippet of it. And then I have one more question after that. Sure. So actually my husband wrote the letter mm -hmm. and as we, we were with the fertility center for such a long time. And when we became pregnant with hope, our doctor was one of the doctors at this fertility center actually assisted in the first IVF in the United States. And it was interesting because we, they, they gone through us with us through all of these IUIs, which I said was such a different experience from the IVF. And with the IVF, when we became pregnant, we felt you share so much of your story and we wanted to just thank them, mm -hmm. thank everybody involved to help in helping our dreams come true. Mm -hmm. And it became a personal journey for so many people involved, even there, it seemed when we heard the heartbeat for the first time, the nurse cried 
And when we opened the door from hearing that, the doctor who helped us, who was so data-driven and analytical, was listening on the other side of the door. Oh. So it felt like they were a part of it. And right. so in response, my husband wrote this letter and we actually held like a breakfast, a thank you breakfast for them. Wow. So I'm just going to read the last two paragraphs. I will try not to cry because it's pretty emotional, but it's a beautiful letter, like I said. And at the end, he says, yet our exit from RMC was unceremonious, just handing us a card to announce our baby. It seems so inadequate. I know we paid money for your services and that you are professionals, but wow, this thing is way bigger than that. It is hope filled and dreams coming true. You and the team deserve our gratitude forever, or at least until our kid turns into a snot-nosed teen. (laughs) And then he says, and now I'm going to cry. Two weeks ago, I went into our basement and found the still-wrapped present for my mother on the dusty shelf. Thanks to you, we were able to shine it up again and give it to her. And thanks to you, we learned our hope wasn't misplaced and that our dreams are coming true. Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to Emily's journey to hope as she calls it. And thank you so much in general for just the support that you guys are giving the podcast. People are passing it around. The emails and notes I'm getting are amazing. So I'm so happy that it's helping some of you. If you have two seconds to go over to Apple and write a review and rate it five stars, um, that really helps us stay on track and get noticed and messes with the algorithm however the hell that works but it does make a difference so thank you guys so much and i hope you are all well talk to you next time